The theme for 2023 is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Amen. For us, for us at ACF, it's fruitfulness. Amen. I was just going through again on Facebook, you know, the prophetic words that are out there. And there's so many and they're so varied. You could actually pick the one that you like the best and take it. Now, that was funny. You're supposed to laugh there. Okay. But for us in ACF, I felt God was saying for us, it's a year of fruitfulness. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a series maybe, teaching on it. I started last week talking about it and saying the context for everything that I'm going to speak about is the kingdom. That's the context. That's the big idea in God's mind. Amen. Jesus came as king to set up a kingdom. He came preaching John the Baptist, Jesus, the disciples, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you've got to understand that God's big idea is his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And so we need to keep that in mind. So the thing that I wanted to just touch on was the kingdom. But then the other thing is God's incredible love for us. I mean, God loves us with an everlasting love, an eternal love. It's a said covenant kind of love. It's the love that keeps tracking us and pursuing us and never letting us go. Amen? The incredible, the indescribable love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the outcome of the love of God, the outcome of the fact that he sent Jesus to die for us, and if we were in a relationship with Jesus, the issue within the context of the kingdom is that God becomes our father. He came to reveal God as our Father. It was the whole outcome of the coming of Christ. But we get different metaphors right throughout the Bible concerning our relationship with God as our Father. The Father, is that's taken for granted. But then there's aspects of that relationship that is described in different metaphors, different picture language because of what God is doing in us and what God's doing for us and what God expects from us. Amen? And so the interesting thing is the Psalms is particular. He talks about, you know, David being a shepherd himself and Moses, the Lord is my shepherd. Is that right? And David talks about it later on, is it Psalm 100 or Psalm 110, that he's our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. So God is shepherd. But when we come into the New Testament, we see it clearer, but it's there in the Old Testament we see that we are the bride of Christ. It's very interesting if you read Romans chapter 7 when Paul is using the analogy of marriage and he's talking about the fact that the people of God once were married to the law and we brought forth the fruit unto death. So that union, that marriage relationship with the law, out of the intimacy of marriage of that relationship, it produced death. That was the fruit. And then he talks about the fact that in Christ we died So we were freed from the principle of marriage to the law, and we are now united with him, and we're married to Christ. Paul said, I betrothed you to one, even to Christ. So if we take the analogy of Romans chapter 7, our union with Christ should be a fruitful union. Everybody with me? And the fruit of that should be life, because the fruit of our union with the law was death. So there's different analogies. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, NIV says, For we are co-workers in God's service. Paul talking about himself and the other apostles. And then he says, you are, and he mentions two things. You are God's field, God's building. 
Interesting, you are God's field. The King James translation says, you are God's husbandry. Because the husbandman is like a gardener, okay? He cultivates. It's really interesting. The word for field there is the word for tillage. You know, when you're tilling the ground. So in other words, he's saying you are God's tillage. God is plowing your life. God is fertilizing. God is sowing seed in your life. Because the whole thing is God wants a harvest out of your life. But the second thing is says you are God's building. In other words, you are God's design. He's the architect. But not only that, and there's many verses we can preach all about, you know, it's a whole sermons on just those two aspects. But he says, you're God's building. In other words, he's the designer, the architect. He's the master builder. He's building your life up so that he can dwell in us by his spirit. Amen? And that's why he gives us the gift of prophecy. And that's why he encourages us to encourage one another. Because the thing is, encouragement is oikodomia, which means to build up with a view to completion. Edification. So it's where we get the word edifice from, a building, all right? So we are God's field, we are God's building. But the next one, and it's the one I want to concentrate on, and we see it from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And a lot of the reason is because the book was written to very pastoral, rural, agricultural people. Israel was an agricultural, pastoral nation because they had flocks and herds, okay? God is the gardener. Is that okay? Collectively, we are the garden of God. Individually, we are plants, the planting of the Lord. And so, once again, I mean, we can go right through scriptures and we can do a whole message just on the gardener. That's the message I preached when I was in Scotland. God is the gardener. Can everyone say amen? amen. And so Jesus says this in John 15:1, and it was the chapter that I looked at quite extensively last week. And so John 15, 1, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and then he goes on, and my father is the gardener. So he's our father, he's God, he's king, but hey, listen, my father is the gardener. It's very, very interesting, very interesting. And I don't want to get distracted because I want to stick with what I want to share this morning, is that all the way through the Old Testament, right into the New Isaiah 5, you know, Judah is a fruitful vine, so on and so forth. You know, there's the symbolism of the olive, the fig, the grapes, all of those kinds of things. But it's very interesting that when Jesus was speaking, one of the parables he spoke was, he spoke of Israel as the fig tree. And he gives the thing about the gardener, who's got this garden, and he's got someone working in the garden, and he goes for three years, and he keeps looking for something on the fig tree. And he says, after the first year, this tree is not producing fruit, cut it down. Second year, cut it down. Third year. And every time the gardener is saying, please, just let me just dig around it. Let me just fertilize it. Let's just see. And then John the Baptist comes along and he says, listen. He says, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. And so what he was saying, in effect, was, Jesus has been coming to you Pharisees, and he has found no fruit, and so the tree is about to be cut down. When Jesus went looking for figs on the tree, it wasn't just because he was hungry. That whole thing was a parable. Because he was on the way to the cross. And he stops at the fig tree, 
and he sees the leaves are green, but there's no fruit, and he curses the fig tree, and it begins to die from the roots upwards. Remember, it was Jesus that said, also close to his crucifixion one night, he said, the kingdom will be taken from you, and he's pointing to the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to another who will produce its fruit. Everybody with me? And so we're not arrogant or anything like this. We stand humbly because of the grace of God. And it is now that he says, you know, because he says, I've conferred on you the kingdom. So we can't just waddle around and wallow around and, and whatever in the kingdom because he was expecting fruit from the Pharisees. And he's now given us the kingdom. We are the planting of the Lord. So, hey, church, guess what? He expects what from us? Okay? Can just say it to yourself. He expects fruit from me. He expects fruit out of my life. Because he is what? He's the gardener. Now, I've mentioned that the love of God is so incredible. And one of the expressions of the love of God is this. Is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, he brought us into a total, indissoluble, unbreakable, irretractable. I'm just trying to think of all the right words. Completely, complete union with Him. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but you are completely united with Christ yeah. in God. Amen? Amen? Inseparably linked. It's absolutely incredible that this holy, powerful, almighty God comes to us, and we are sinners lost without hope, without God, sends His sons to die for us. The moment we put our faith in Him, He takes us, and he just fuses our lives into his, where we are totally joined together. What about in Romans, cannot ever be separated from him. And that's what Paul is just all excited about in Romans chapter 8, where he says, nothing, nothing in all creation, and he lists all sorts of things, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And not only from his love, but from himself. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we are so united with him that we were united with him in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And now, where he's enthroned, seated in heaven, reigning, we are now seated next to him, co-reigning. Isn't that amazing? Amen. So we were co-joined with him. Yeah. You know, the word there is like welded. When you take two plates together, and if you get a master weld and he welds it, the two plates infuse into each other and are separably you know, you just cannot break it because it's melted together. Come on, we are completely melted together with him. Yes. Isn't that incredible? I mean, don't you find that amazing? And that's why he uses the analogy of a marriage. Paul does. And the fact that we are the bride of Christ because we are in union. We are one spirit with him. Powerful. Tell the person next to you, man, that's powerful. Tell the person next to you, you need to really get excited about that. Okay. But here it is. Our Christian lives now are far more than just holding the right doctrine, the right beliefs. It's far more than just behaving correctly. There's a lot of churches filled with a lot of Christians, and it's, it's nominal Christianity. And things like they go there, and it's behavior modification program, you know? And that's why they have all these laws and rules and things like this. This is the way you should behave. And, you know, sometimes we've got to have rules and things like that. But it's not about behavior modification. It's not about adapting. 
It's about our union with Him. And so it's far more than just saying, I hold to those beliefs. Okay, because I hold to those beliefs, then I mustn't do this. It's not about that. Listen, our Christian lives are not about rituals, not about rules. It's about relationship. And so when we give our lives to Jesus, we are given a righteousness, and not just any righteousness. We are given, as a gift, the very righteousness of God himself. And whenever I say it, it blows my mind, and I have to go like, am I right in saying that? Because, in other words, God's own righteousness becomes our righteousness. I mean, how profound is that? And there's many scriptures. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 to 9. He's thinking about all of his accomplishments and what he's done, a Pharisee of Pharisees and all of this kind of thing, trained in the Gamaliel. But whatever were gains to me, he says, and I consider loss for the sake of Christ. This is Philippians 3, 7 to 9, NIV. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everyone say knowing. Knowing Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. In other words, I don't count anything in my pedigree. I don't count my CV. I don't count my heritage. I don't count my genealogy. I count nothing in my past. Everything that counts for me now is knowing Jesus Christ. And he says this. And I've lost all those things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Listen to this now, what Paul says. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Amen? Isn't that incredible? You know, Paul is saying, you know, I did a lot of things. According to the law, one passage he says, according to the law, I was faultless. You could examine my life, and you could put a tick against every single law. But he discovered that it was his own righteousness. And that the righteousness now that he has by faith in Christ, just by simply believing the message, far exceeds that righteousness. Amen? And he says, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And it's that righteousness that justifies me and puts me right with God. And there's many other references. I don't want to dwell on those. I will just um, mention 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we've got a right standing with God now, and we have entered into a union with God that completely changed our legal status. Our legal status changed. When we put our faith in Jesus, our legal status changed from a sinner deserving death. It changed from unrighteous, unholy, sinner, sinful. That legal status changed into where I'm a child of God. I am the very righteousness of God himself. It's unbelievable. In a moment, 
This miracle happened. Yeah. Was that incredible? Yes. Just by faith in Christ, everything changed. My destiny changed. My nature changed. Everything changed. I was born anew in the Spirit. He came to indwell me in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like that, just by faith in Him. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So look at the person next to you and say, I'm in union with God. I'm in union with God. Now remember, I'm setting you up for something. So you fell right into the trap because you said it. I'm in union with God, all right? So, no, no, it's all part of the sermon this morning. So we're in union with God. But I just want to remind you that God is the gardener. And he's looking for fruit. So that union with God. See, there's a lot of people that are still on the doctrine, and rightly so, and they're still very excited about this word of righteousness. You know, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the righteous. And listen, we need to be excited yeah. about it. Yes. But listen, you can't park there. Yeah. You can't camp there. Yeah. You can't build little booths there and say, it's good for us to be here and stay there. Yes. Everybody following me? Yes. Because that righteousness is unto something. That legal status where he says, you are now my sons, my daughters. When I look at you without blood of Jesus' glasses, when I, when I look at you, I see you sinless, perfect, pardoned, free. I see you as my sons and my daughters. That's how he sees us. Amen? I mean, it's unbelievable. But, you know, that righteousness is unto something. And the unto, the join, the join. That the link that joins it all together. Paul says it in Ephesians and he says it in the book of Romans. He talks about the fact that because of that righteousness, we have been given access to God. And that access, I've mentioned it before, is not just proximity to God. It doesn't mean that I've just been access, given access into the throne room and I can come before him. That's one different picture. That's one different metaphor. No, 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 no. When Paul talks about by the Spirit, we've been all been given to access by God. What he's talking about is that we've been given access into the very being of God. Now that's a wow. You can say it backwards, Wow. Say it upside down, mom. No, no, that's wrong. So you just keep, wow. Okay? So it's, that's a wow thing. We've been given access to God. All he is and all he has, we have access to him. That's amazing. All right? So all of his power, all of his holiness, everything is available for me. And that link word access can be spelt in another way. It can be spelt P-O-W-E-R. It is the power to live the life that we've been given access into. So we have right standing God. So here's the thing. So we're talking about fruitfulness. That's where I'm going. So we've established the fact, just very briefly, very briefly, that we are all in union with Him. But union with God is insufficient to produce fruit. Let me qualify it. Union with God is insufficient. There's a lot of theologians that know everything that I've said, and there's no fruit in their lives. There's no miracles. There's no nothing. But they can tell you, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. There's many Christians that can say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. They're late for work. They're obstropolous to their bosses. 
They're a pain in the neck to their fellow workers. But hey, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And don't try and correct them. Don't try and tell them you shouldn't be behaving like that. What? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. There's no condemnation. Now, this is not condemnation. This is just pointing out a fact. If you feel condemned about it, goody, wear it. If the shoe fits, wear it. Be on time for work. Be the best worker. Be the most polite. Don't expect everything for nothing. I hear this from so many Christians, and it drives me up the wall. How oh, my boss is so unfair. Well, maybe, maybe he's got a point of view. Maybe you're not the best worker. I'm just mentioning it, you know, for those on live stream, because it's not anyone in this church. You understand what I'm saying? So union with God is not enough. See, here's the second thing. You need to have union with God, and you need to have communion with Him. I'm going to say that again. Okay. If there's any condemnation in the room, if you deserve it, repent and change. It's gone very quiet now. This is not a bash you up service. It's not. I'm talking about fruitfulness. We need to be producing fruits. Amen? I mean, you know, secular bosses should want to employ Christians. But all I hear is, we will never employ Christians. I mean, what an indictment that is. I mean, churches would be fantastic if it wasn't for the Christians. I mean, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, no, I'm teasing. But you know what I'm saying. And I mean, and then those, those businesses, this business is dedicated to the Lord, and they take advantage of their workers. Yeah. There's that aspect too. Come on. Yeah. See, union with God, you know, is not enough. It's a set of beliefs. So we need to have union with God and then communion with yeah. Him. Amen. Tell the person, now Pastor John's really preaching to you. Okay. Now, teasing. All right. So we need union with God. But we also need communion with God. If we only have union without communion, we have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. If we only have union without communion with Him, and I'm going to explain that, then we have a joyless, formal type of Christianity that doesn't produce fruit. Okay, so we've got access to a life-giving, I found this, a life-giving, soul-thrilling joy-producing communion with God through Christ. I like what 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 says. We proclaim to you, 1 John chapter 1 verse 3 NIV. This is John writing, and he's talking about we, the apostles. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard Jesus so that you also may have fellowship with us because we had a real fellowship with Christ. So this is what he says. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And he goes on to talk about, and we want you to have fellowship with us. And so he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What was John talking about? He's saying, not only are we in union with Him, but we have communion. That word fellowship there is from the Greek word koinonia. 
And koinonia fellowship is best described as a fellowship in the Holy Spirit. It's not based on hobbies or similar interests or anything like this. It really is based on Jesus. And I found a definition. This is a definition of koinonia. It's fellowship. It's a joint participation. It's to share which one has in a thing, to share with a person what you have in a certain thing. And so the fellowship that John is talking about is he's saying our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we share in what they have and they share in us. It's a participation. And so we need to have communion. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Are you getting something from this? Okay, so from union to communion. And then we'll get somewhere else. So then he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, the NIV. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Woo! Now that puts it at a different level altogether. Listen, he hasn't just called you to come and get saved. Okay, I'm saved, my sins are forgiven, I believe it. I'm going to go to church every now and then, I'll tithe whenever I feel like. I read my Bible occasionally, and if Pastor John's sermons are good, I'll stick around. And a bit of worship better be good. And then, and it's like, no, 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 no. And when I die, I'll be with Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. No, no, no. He's called you to more than that. He's called you to a relationship with Jesus. He's called you into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's another aspect of it. So the Christian faith is about union and communion with Jesus. Now, because of what God has done to bring about our union with him, we should then desire this intimate relationship. Is that okay? God did the union. We need to do the communion. Now, I'm going to say that again. God did the union part. We need to do the communion part. Okay, look at the person next to you and say, he really is talking about you now. Okay. So we should long for this kind of fellowship with God. David, the king, expressed it so brilliantly. David, the man after God's own heart, Psalm 63, verse 1. This is in the New King James translation. He says this, O God, you are my God. And I like what he says there, early will I seek thee. Now, I seek the Lord early every day, five o'clock in the morning. But that's not what David's talking about. When he says, God, you my God, early will I seek you. He wasn't saying, I'm going to get up before the crack of dawn and I'm going to look for you. No, he was saying, as a first priority, before anything else, early, early will I seek you. Early. Isn't it amazing? I remember it was Pastor Bruce said this once, and I've mentioned it a few times here. And he said, go to the throne before you go to the phone when you've got a problem. Go to the throne before you go to the bank to up your credit card limit. Go to the throne before you go to the doctor. Go to the throne before you go to anyone else. Go to him. David said, he's my priority. God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. 
because my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. In other words, what he's saying is nothing else satisfies me like you. You're the only one that satisfies. Now, how many of you know David is responding to the union and he's crying out for communion with the Father, with God? So, it should be our cry. John's Gospel, Jesus teaches these disciples about this communion. And uh, he pronounced them clean. Remember in John chapter 13 when he washed their feet? And then, you know, Peter said, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. And, and then he said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not clean. You don't have a part of me. He said, okay, wash all of me. And he said, no, I don't need to wash all of you. He said, I just need to wash your feet. He said, you know, because basically you are clean. And then he said, with the exception of Judas, but you're all clean. It's amazing that he repeats that. You know, chapters and verses sometimes throw us off, but if we read and we follow, it goes through chapter 14 into chapter 15. And in chapter 15, he talks about the vine, and he says, my father is the gardener, and I'm the vine, and you're the branches. And then he says, any branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, the King James and some other translations are very unfortunate. He says he cuts off. No, he doesn't cut off a branch. Branches are valuable. But what he does, he lifts it up. That's the Greek. He lifts it up. He cleans it up so that it can produce fruit. Because every branch on a vine is important. Is it okay? So he tends to the vine. So listen, church. What is he looking for? He wants fruit. So he lifts the branch that's not bearing fruit. He ties it up higher, lifts it up out of the dirt, washes it and cleans it. And then there is a bit of pruning. Anything that is dead, that's not giving life, he prunes it so that it can produce more fruit. Are you good? So he's talking about cleaning. And then he repeats it in verse 3. He says, now you are clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Now, but this is what he said in John 14. And he's saying, because of the word I spoke to you, because you received the word, you believed the word, you're already clean. But like with John 13, your feet every now and then get dirty, so I need to clean it. Sometimes the branch starts to hang low and it picks up the dust of worldliness. And I lift it up and I've I got to clean it. But I do some pruning because it needs to produce more, more fruit. Okay. And so this communion with him, he speaks about in verse 4 when he says, Abide in me and I in you. There's the communion. But it's also the union. Okay, so you're really clean. So he says, abide in me. All right. So the ceremony of washing the feet of the disciples, it wasn't only because their feet were dirty and no one had washed them. But it was a symbolic display of his incarnation, his atoning sacrifice, his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he was basically saying to them, by that act of washing their feet, was that I am going to do something now that will make you clean and right with God. Amen? So in John 15, 3, when he said, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you, again, he's declaring their legal status. You are right with God. You're righteous. You're in union with him. Okay. So now, just coming to the last bit. So union with communion is what's needed. Union with communion is where fruit comes from. Are you with me? 
So John 15, 3, you're really clean. And Jesus invites us to abide in him. We already saw it. John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. Now, it's very interesting that the word abide is a verb. Is a verb. Not a herb. A verb. It's a verb. It's a verb. It's a verb. Okay. So how many of you know that love is also a verb? What is a verb? It's something you eat in your salad. <laughs> no. <laughs> what is a verb? A verb is a doing word. Is that all right? It's an action word. So when the Bible says, love one another, it's not just to look at each other and have wishy feelings. Oh, I love you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's not that. It's not you know, having, you know, being gushy with each other just on Sundays and go, Oh, dear, I just love you. <laughs> no, the love is a doing word. In other words, you show your love by doing, yeah. doing stuff. Is that okay? When you say, I love God, it's not just the goosebumps you feel when you're coming to church and you're worshiping and you go, like, Oh, I can feel His presence. Oh, I love God. No, no, no. That's part of it. But it's what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's if you live for Him. That's loving God. Amen. When the Bible says, love one another as I've loved you, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just sat in heaven and said, oh gosh, I just love you all. I love you all, y'all. I just love you. And he never left heaven. What kind of love would that have been? But he left heaven and he became a servant, humbled himself unto death, bled, died, terrible death on the cross, you know, buried, rose again, ascended. All that was his love to make us new creatures in Christ. Now he ever liveth to intercede for us. Amen. Amen. The least we can do in our love for somebody is pray for them. That's the least. The most we can do, like Jesus said, is lay your life down. Not necessarily die for somebody, but lay your life down where you put their interests first. So it's a doing word. It's a verb. In other words, it's an activity. So when Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you, we know he's active. But when he says, if you want to bear fruit, know that you're in union with me. But then establish communion with me. And when you do, that's called abiding in me. And when you abide in me, that's when you produce fruit. So it means to remain or stay. It entails far more than the idea of just, I believe in Jesus. There's millions and millions of people that believe in Jesus that produce zip fruit. Zip. I am the vine, Jesus said. John 15, verse 5. So here's another really good crunch one. I love this. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. It doesn't mean you can't wake up in the morning and go to work. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you can't make yourself a cup of tea. It doesn't mean that. It means you can do everything that you can as a human being. But that supernatural part, that element of fruitfulness that pleases God and gives Him glory, you cannot do without Him. It is requisite. Fruitfulness is requisite. It's conditional on you continuing and abiding in Him. 
union and communion, then the fruit can come. And it's in that communion. A man of God once said this, and I've said this many times. It's worth saying again. A break with fellowship is a break with faith. And a break with faith is a break with power. See, the most amazing thing is about the grace of God. And everything about our union in Him is the grace of God. Amen? It's all His grace. But there's another facet of the grace that is called power. Ability. Enablement. And so when I'm connected to Him, when I understand I'm in union with Him, I should really want to and desire to have communion with Him. When I have communion with Him, I am then connected to that very life source, that life source that is called power, the power of the Holy Spirit in me that then automatically just begins to produce fruit. Amen? And where there is no fruitfulness, he comes and prunes. Now, I want you to know, for the last 40 minutes, he's been pruning you by the word. Is that okay? And sometimes he uses that really irritating, just that get on your nerves, drive you up the creek like scratching on a blackboard person that you work with. Just to prune some things. Amen? And how many of you know that's your opportunity then to learn a lesson and realize what's inside of you? Somebody sent me this thing yesterday. Bev and I were listening to Dr. Wayne Dyer. And uh, it was interesting, Dr. Wayne Dyer, you know, very much the universe and all this kind of thing. Listen, the universe is not God. God is God. God created the universe. You know, universe doesn't tell me anything. As far as the Bible is concerned, what the universe does tell me, it pours forth speech day to day and it declares His glory. But you can't deify the universe. The universe was created by God. It's God. You understand what I'm saying? So he was very much like that. But, the, you know, as he went on, the same as Jordan Peterson, you just you watch the evolution of their relationship towards Jesus. It's amazing. Fascinating. If you've never heard of Jordan Peterson. But anyway, Dr. Wayne died and he says this. He talks about the orange, and uh, he often uses that analogy, and he says, you can take an orange, and you can squeeze it as hard as you want, and out of it will come orange juice. He said, you can take that orange. It doesn't matter how hard you squeeze it, and how many times you squeeze it. Apple juice is not going to come out. The reason is because it's an orange. And if you squeeze it, what's inside will come out. And sometimes that person that irritates you, gets on your nerve, makes your hackles rise because they remind you of someone else that did the same thing. And then out pops frustration or irritation. Maybe even a swear word. You know, something like that. Or, you know, sign language. Something comes out, you know. And listen, where did that come from? Guess what? It came from. And, you know, very often we don't know it's there until that happens. And then the horse has bolted and you've said it or you've done it. 
but it's what's inside. Amen. And sometimes the Lord has to allow things, you know, to come your path. <laughs> sometimes he, you know, I want you to leave this job and I want you to go and work over there. And you go and work over there and you meet someone just exactly the same. Is that irritating person there? Listen, the names change. The gender can even change. But you will find that person wherever you go. Why? Because God is trying to say what's inside. I need to show you what's inside. Why? And he's pruning. He's pruning. He's saying, look at them. That's got to change. And he prunes us to become even more fruitful. Jesus said this, without me you can do nothing. Now, why did he say that? Why did he say that? It's amazing. I always hold these two verses in tension. Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And here Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. In other words, you cannot produce fruit, and God is looking for fruit. Okay. So union with communion produces fruitfulness. I found this quote, and it says this, this is by John Owen, great theologian. Our communion with God consists in his communication of himself to us with our return to him of that which he requires and he accepts. Flowing from that union which is in Christ Jesus we have with him. Now listen, church, I hear it over and over again. I just serve God the way I want to serve God. No, you don't serve God the way you want to. You serve God the way He says. Is that okay? And it's like, well, you know, I just give, you know, I don't believe in the time, you know, I just give. No, 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 do it the way He says. Well, I, you know, I just serve God in my own way. You'll get the reward of that. We have to serve His way. We serve Him according to His revelation. We serve Him according to His word. Is that okay? Are you with me, church? And so we can do nothing without Him. And our communion, we're in union with Him, but our communion with Him is His revelation to us, and then our response to live the way He says. And to give Him from our lives what He wants and what he expects. Amen? So Benjamin says this. We've not been called into the type of union whereby it's like two strangers dwelling together under the same roof. Rather, we are called into a sweet and intimate type of koinonia in which our lives are necessarily interwoven with Christ. His will, plans, and affections must grow into and become our will and our plans and our affections. His kingdom is now our kingdom, and His glory is now our daily pursuit. This is really good, isn't it? I mean, some things I could read again, but I'm not going to. So the last thing that I'm going to mention, and I'm going to fly through it because I'll pick it up next week. Three keys to abiding. Number one, walking by faith, living by faith. I like what one guy said, one preacher said this. Walking by faith is preaching the gospel of God's grace to yourself every day. Every day. Preach the gospel of his grace to yourself and walk by faith and realize what he's done for you. Amen? And you live in that continual fresh revelation and understanding of our union with him. Secondly, 
to practice his presence, practice his presence, to develop a relationship with him. And, and that involves developing a consciousness of him, doing what Paul says, praying without ceasing, you know, go into corporate prayer, private prayer, meditative type of prayer, and uh, fellowshipping with others who are abiding with him. And that's the benefit of a church body and yeah. things like this and having Christian friends as well as unsaved friends who you're trying to win. But you need that quinonia fellowship with others whereby you encourage the sense of abiding in him. And then thirdly, it's to live intentionally. To live intentionally understanding that the gardener who planted my life, who is cultivating, who is building, is a fruit inspector. He's looking for fruit from us. Amen? His purpose, his attention to us, in a very great degree, is to say, John, there's no fruit in that area. That's why sometimes when there's a message, there's that wince inside of you. It's like, ee! <laughs> because your conscience just reacted, and the father was just going, snip. Amen? Because I want fruit from this. So it's to live intentionally, which means to read the Word, but not only read and meditate, live the Word. In the light of life and the stuff that happens, positive and negative, what happens is you live out the Word. Amen? It means to be witnessing and ministering to others. It means to be loving and serving inside and outside of the body of Christ. It means to be dealing with and avoiding any form of sin. It means to be doing all of those things. Amen? And fourthly, it means to do all of this in dependence on His power that is resident in us. So my prayer, my prayer for ACF as we step into 2023 and we start to produce more fruit and abundant fruit as I pray this, that like David, you would earnestly seek God that your souls would hunger and thirst after Him. Amen. Secondly, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in you a greater desire for more of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Thirdly, I pray that you will yearn with a deeper hunger, and myself included, to know the depths and riches of the love of Christ which you will only grasp by abiding in Him. Amen. So 2023, the year of much more fruit. Amen.